0: Um, We are in Article 6 the church. There is a typo before we get started that I will tell you about so you can correct it on yours if you're keeping these. At the top where it says Article 6 the 1925, it was Article 12 in the 1925. Um, I'm pretty sure Article 12, not Article 6. So I try to be mindful about updating that every time, but that might slip by me again in the future. So Article 12, uh, but we are in Article 6 the church. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right into this thing. Uh, So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you have bought for yourself a group of people, the church, that we exist for your honor and glory, that we exist with unity, Lord, united with one another and united with you in our common faith. I ask that you would equip us, Lord, tonight through the teaching of the Baptist faith and message as it proclaims the truth of your word, that you might equip us to better understand exactly what we are, and what we are called to do by you, our Lord and our Savior, our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Um, We're going to go through this, and we're actually going to cover— this is going to take two different sessions to cover. I wasn't able to get all this in one. And the next session, we're going to cover an amendment to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It was made this year in New Orleans in 2023. We've got an amendment to the Baptist faith and message. We'll cover that next time. I'm excited about that. Um, so that's pretty fresh. But this time we're going to go through about the first half. So we'll start here. Um, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So this first part of the phrase here, New Testament Church. That's what we desire to be. The 1925 actually did not have New Testament there. It just said a church of Christ. Um, But we have here this uh, edition in 2000. It started in 1963. A New Testament church. Just because something calls itself a church doesn't mean it's a New Testament church. There's a lot of organizations that call themselves church, and we would look at that and say, oh, well, that's a church but it's not necessarily a New Testament church. We might call that a true church or a false church, and there's ways to discern how we should categorize that. But I think this addition is important, New Testament church. That means we are seeking to be what the New Testament says that we are. We're seeking to function in the way that the New Testament tells us to function. That's what a church is. So to some degree, we don't get to make up the rules of what we do. There are things that aren't in the scriptures that we get to take liberty on, but then there are those things in scriptures that we are to follow. And then outside of that, we have kind of some freedom on how we're going to exercise that, okay? So a Christian church is a New Testament church. So we see here, it's not just a New Testament church, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you combine these phrases... It tells us who really is in charge of both the church as a whole and each individual church. If you were here when we did our series on what is a church, there's the universal church, invisible big C church. Then there's the visible local small C church. Jesus is the Lord of both. Now, a lot of people affirm this in theory and I think unintentionally deny it in practice. A lot of people affirm this in theory, but unintentionally, I believe, deny it in practice. And I'm going to show you how and why I think this happens. The next phrase here is that a New Testament church is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers. What does autonomous mean? If something's autonomous, what does that mean? Okay, uh, several good thoughts. I'm going to break them down one at a time operates independently. Oh I said that's not what I said. I said they they all believe the same thing. They're they're the same thing? They all believe the Oh they all believe the same thing. I see what you're saying. Yep. Who else? Somebody else had said something. Autonomous. I just said they're separated apart from any of the others. Separated apart from other churches? Okay, good. So these are all really good. Here's what the dictionary definition of this is having the freedom To govern itself or control its own affairs. So, freedom to govern itself or control its own affairs. Well, to govern by definition is to exercise authority or power over. So, an autonomous organization, no other organization exerts power or authority over that specific organization. It's autonomous. Okay, it's kind of its own deal. They're all like-minded and come together and exercise their own self-governance. So based on the word autonomous, we might conclude that the church's authority primarily is the church itself. We are our own authority. All the members of the whole share equal authority in the church. And in a sense, this is true. We'll see this a little more in depth next time. However, in a sense, it's also misleading at best or false at worst. The church is not the ultimate authority of the church. Where is the ultimate authority of the church? Christ. That's right. God is the ultimate authority of the church. Now, he is not here in person sitting on a throne in our church saying, here's what I say. We don't have that. What do we have to know what Christ desires of his church? We have the scriptures. Okay, So here we fall back on the same phrase, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. And the New Testament is one of the ways that he exercises that authority. As we conform to the New Testament, we are submitting to Christ's authority. So autonomous, more than giving a declaration of the highest authority in the church, is more intended to tell us who or what is not autonomous. The authority in the church. The reason that we have this in the Baptist faith and message is because other churches practice a different kind of authority where different organizations or different churches have authority over one another. Baptist churches being autonomous means my church is not, nothing dictates what we do or what we believe outside of just our congregation in the New Testament scriptures. Um, Other churches have kind of these hierarchies where there's this top-down flow of here's what you're going to believe, here's where you're going to pastor the next church, and they exert that kind of authority over the individual churches, but we don't have that as Baptist churches. So we're autonomous in that we are disconnected in authority from every other church around us. That's kind of what the intent of that is. And the reason that we have that is because if you go back in history, the 1500s, before the Protestant Reformation, the, the way that you could tell what was a church and what wasn't a church is, you're a part of the Roman Catholic Church. If you're part of that church, then, then you're part of the true church. And if you're not, then you're not. So they wielded a lot of power and authority. Well, then when the Reformers broke their ties with Rome, now we've got the Catholic Church, we've got the Protestant Church. Well, now the question arises, out of these Protestant churches that we exercise our own authority, well, how do we know what's a real church and what isn't a real church? Well, before, the pope would just say, not a church, you're done. Not a pastor, you're done. Well, now we don't have that anymore. And so that's why we need some of, these, uh, some of these words that we're using here. So what autonomous means is that no other ecclesiastical body can exercise authority over us as a local church. Now, again, not every church operates this way, but the Baptist churches do operate this way. They're autonomous, okay? Um, And also uh, the phrase here, baptized believers, we're going to look at ordinances here in a moment. But for now, this phrase tells us that a local church, as closely as possible, is to reflect the invisible universal church. So we practice what's been called regenerate membership. And what that means is that the members of a church are to be born again believers. Why? Because in the universal church, what is that composed of? believers. So in a local church, it ought to be composed of regenerate membership, born-again believers. Well, the question comes up, well, how do we know who's born again and who isn't? You know, do we have this mysterious wand we can just wave over someone, and green means believer, and red means they're not a believer? Well, we don't have that. We're not the judge. We can't say for sure, but that's why the church practices the ordinances, covenant membership, And some of those things that we'll get to in a moment. So the final phrase, um, associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So since local churches are autonomous, there has to be some way to recognize each individual church. What makes me a part of one church, but then Steve Jensen a part of another church? Or Daniel Brightup or any of these other guys locally? What, What separates geographically we're all in roughly the same area? but we would say we're part of different churches and we don't exert authority over one another. So how do we make those distinctions? How do we separate them out? The way the church has historically done this is through a church covenant. Specifically here, we see that it's a covenant of faith and fellowship in the gospel. And these two words, I think, are very intentional. The faith of the gospel has to do with right belief, and the fellowship of the gospel has to do with right practice between one another. So a covenant for a church in the faith and fellowship of the gospel is we're going to believe the right things together, and we're going to do the right things for one another. The two words here are orthodoxy, that's right faith, right belief, orthodoxy, that's where you hear orthodox church, the church with right belief, and then ortho praxy, that's P-R-A-X-Y, and that is right practice. That's what we see here. So if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, we actually see a good example of both of these in the same book, almost serving as bookends of the book here, which is really kind of interesting to me. But uh, book of Galatians, we'll look in chapter one, and then we'll look in chapter six, and we'll see both of these. Right belief, and then right practice. Galatians chapter one, Um, verses 6 through 8 is what we'll look at as you're turning there. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Looks like most people are ready, so I'm going to go ahead and start. Here's what it says. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It's interesting to me that the church is being admonished because of this. The church, in part, is responsible for the doctrine that's proclaimed at the church. You might say, well, pastor, you're the one preaching. Yes, but y'all are the one that have me here. So we are held accountable, all of us, as the membership of a church, in part for what a church believes and preaches. It's an important task that's given to the whole church, each individual member. That's the right belief here. Now, if you skip forward to uh, Galatians chapter 6, we see right at the very beginning of Galatians 6 here in verse 1, this orthopraxy, this right fellowship with one another because of the gospel. It says in uh, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And he continues, bear one another's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. He continues with instructions there. But the idea is that we are responsible one to another for our belief, And we are responsible one to another for how we are going to interact with one another. When we see one another stumbling, we are to go to one another in gentleness, in the hope of restoration, while at the same time keeping a watch on ourselves that we don't fall into the same pattern of disobedience as those that we're trying to help. So that's what we see here. The way that churches have historically done that is by a covenant. So a church covenant traditionally includes what a church... Agrees to believe together. If you're going to be a member of this church, this is what we believe and this is what we require everyone who's a member to believe. And then how the individual members of a church must relate with one another. Now, because churches are exerting this authority over people who join, it is advisable that the covenant only require what the Lord Jesus Christ requires of Christians in the New Testament. Otherwise, if we start to put things in our church covenant that the Bible doesn't put on us as believers, who has now become the authority? We have. The Lord Jesus is the authority. So our covenant should not add more to church membership than the Bible adds to church membership and to Christians. Once we start to go beyond that, we start to run into some trouble there in who has authority over what. So that's what a church covenant does. Now, different churches... Their covenants may be slightly different. One church may say, well, we hold this to be a primary doctrine. And if you're going to join the church, you need to affirm this. Another church might say, well, we don't affirm that as a primary doctrine. You can join our church even if you don't believe that so that 's why we have I have a, a really good friend who works in Baptist churches, and he said, "You know if the Southern Baptist Convention ever goes one way or the other, I would probably next go to Presbyterian yeah i don 't believe in infant baptism, but you know I think I could still hop on board with most other and I think most Presbyterian churches would be happy to have him, even though he has that disagreement so Church covenants can be slightly different between churches, but we have to be very careful what we 're going to include in our covenant and then um making sure that it's clear that membership includes believing and practicing those things. Um, So some additions and alterations in this section. Uh, the, The phrase New Testament church and the Lord Jesus Christ was added in the 1963 version. You can see that there. I think it was probably to clarify the authority of Christ through the scriptures over a church. We don't just get to make up our own rules. We need to follow the rule book here. Um, and then this, uh, this autonomous uh, body, um, congregation, some of these words, autonomous was added, but this body and congregation, if you look at the 25, the 63, and the 2000, this was interesting. There's a lot of changes that the 25 had it one way, the 63 changed it, and then the 2000 went backwards to the 25's wording. One of the examples here is body and congregation. The 2000 says it's a local congregation. Well, the 1963 said body, and then the 1925 said congregation. If you keep looking ahead, you'll see several other instances where the 63 made a change, the 2000 went back. And I just thought that was really curious. We'll kind of come to another one of those examples here in just a moment so um and again i think that this changing back i think the 1963 probably muddied the water a little bit and the 2000 sought to re-clarify what the 25 said clearly Um, so these next four phrases are not going to be near as as long or expanded as this first one there is just a lot of stuff packed into that these next four phrases tell us what the church does okay so we have observing the two ordinances of christ Uh, They're governed by his laws, exercising gifts, rights, and privileges invested by the word, and then seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. We'll look at these four uh, real quick, and then we'll actually be close to wrapping up after that. So first, observing the two ordinances ordinances of Christ. The two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. This will be somewhat review. As it relates to the church... Baptism is a physical sign of entry into the church. I am now a believer. I'm now a member of God's invisible church. So I am baptized in order to join a physical church, a visible church. And the Lord's Supper... Is a physical sign of remaining in the church. I am a part of the body of Christ. During the Reformation, the reformers had to figure out how do I distinguish a true church from a false church? And here are the marks that they landed on. A true church of God practices a right preaching of the gospel through God's word, and they practice the ordinances. If you have those two things, short and sweet, that's a church. They're preaching the gospel from God's word, and they're trying to do things that a church does. Baptizing people, practicing the Lord's Supper. They're trying to function as a church. If you have those two things, that's enough to have a church. Now, that's not necessarily enough to have a healthy church, but that is enough to have a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So ordinances are very, very important. They mark out the people of God. The second one here that we have is governed by his laws. This one was flip-flopped. This is one of the examples I was telling you about. Um, So this affirms the authority of God's word over the church. Well, in the 1963, this phrase was replaced with committed to his teachings. I'm not certain what the intent there was. Um, But I think that the 2000 probably went back in order to clarify and make it more clear the Bible's authority over what we are to do as a part of the church. The words governed and committed kind of carry a slightly different connotation. I could see someone say, well, I'm committed to Christ's teaching, but then not giving it the type of authority is... The scriptures govern what we do. That's the best guess I have as to why they made that change. Uh, But I think it was probably a right thing to do. Um, So then we have the third one here, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word. Um, Exercising here, we'll talk about this more next time, implies authority and responsibility. So God's word tells us there are certain gifts Rights and privileges that we have as members of a local congregation that we are to exercise with one another. We don't always do that, but we are given authority by Christ over certain things in the church. The question is, what has He given the church authority over? And each church understands that slightly differently. The three things that we see here that He's given us are gifts, rights, and privileges. The Bible tells the church, what to do, and how to do it. Sometimes it's through a spiritual gift or a teaching ministry of the church. Sometimes it's correcting false doctrine, exercising church discipline. Sometimes it's fulfilling the mission of the church, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But the important thing is that by not exercising what the Bible tells us to exercise, we are rejecting what he has given us for the good of the church. We have different reasons for doing this. Sometimes it's, well... I just don't understand how I might do that. We don't have a good system in place for that, which I understand. It's kind of fair. So what we do is we sit down and say, what's the best way to exercise what we're seeing here in the Scriptures? Churches understand that understand that differently. Um, so the last one here is the mission of the church, and this is seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for this passage, I want you to turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. Um, And this verse really can almost support just about everything we just talked about almost on its own. Okay. Very, very loaded passage here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A lot of times people will start at 19 and that's okay. And I do that a lot. But for our purposes, 18 is really important as well. So Matthew 28, starting in 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, having all authority in heaven and on earth, tells us what to do, go and make disciples of all nations. Very important here. We see in the Baptist faith and message, the church seeks to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is part of our responsibility, even here in Gina, Louisiana. Our church bears part of the responsibility for, is the gospel going to the ends of the earth? One way that we do that as Southern Baptists is by pulling our money together with other Southern Baptist churches, sending it to the cooperative program, and that money gets allocated to different mission agencies, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, training, of, training up of missionaries, going to our seminaries, training up missionaries there, or training up pastors to travel around the world. But that ought not to be the only way that we are sending the gospel to the ends of the earth we ought to be thinking, how can we get the gospel out of here into places where the gospel has not been heard or the gospel, there's no access to the gospel. There's a number of ways that We can do that, and that falls on us as a local body, a local congregation. So this verse here, the Great Commission, supports everything we've looked at. The authority of Christ, the responsibility of the church, the importance of the ordinances. We see baptism there. The importance of obeying Christ's commands. The church exists and is designed to accomplish this mission. And so we are to do so in the way that he Commands. Now, again, every church understands that differently, and how we exercise that is different, but it doesn't negate the fact that we are to do that. So, for application here, um, I didn't have anything specific to add outside of in this first phrase here the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. One in one sense the application is just to do the things that we've been reading about here. I would argue that for us as a church one way that we can help move that forward is by having an effective church covenant knowing what we agree to believe together and practice together, having an expectation of what we're going to do whenever we come together for worship and how we're going to spend our money and all of these things. We have to come together and agree and say, okay, this is what matters. This is what's going to be important for us as members of a local church. And so that, that's a big thing. We actually have a church covenant in our bylaws. And I know a lot of people aren't really familiar with it. It's in there. It's a church covenant that we largely don't know much about. And so I've been thinking, trying to creatively brainstorm, okay, well, how do we get the covenant into our minds more often, where we're remembering our commitment to one another? And I've got some ideas on that, but it's just something that's been rattling around in my head a lot. And I want to give you a challenge. Uh, If you are not familiar with our church covenant, go get a copy of the bylaws and read it. Um, if you're on Flocknote, uh, it was on a note that I'd sent out in the past couple of months. Um, if you uh, can't get a copy up here, I can email you a copy. I've got it on my computer. And uh, it'd be something interesting for us to look over and say, okay, uh, what is it that we want to say? This is what you must believe, and this is what you must do to be a member of our church and start to have those conversations. I believe that a healthy church, if we have a healthy church, all of the things that the church should be doing will naturally flow out from that. And so I think this is an important place for us to start. Any questions, any questions on any of these things um, that we've talked about tonight? Thoughts, hopes, dreams, aspirations for the future? Okay. Okay. Um, Next time, we'll look at the rest of the article. Uh, It goes into the um, structure of the church, the offices of the church. um, And then we're going to look at an amendment that was passed this year, which was passed, I think, in response to there were a lot of churches that were ordaining women. and, And what they were doing was saying, well, we're calling them pastor, but they don't fill this office in the church. And there was some confusion on that. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at the next time. Uh, I don't know exactly when that's going to be. Next week, we've got Hanging of the Green. Then we've got the Children's Play on the 3rd. I know we have the Cantata on the 17th. So we might uh, be able to get together on the 10th and do that then. And then that might be the last one for the year. So I'll try to let you all know when that's coming up. But we um, got a lot of things coming up. End of the year, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and stuff. So I'll pray and uh, we can be dismissed and you can hang out and chat for a little bit or um, you're free to leave. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have purchased us, Lord, and that you have brought us into your family, that we are a part of your body, the church. Lord, as we read through the scriptures and we see the New Testament church and the power that she possessed, we recognize, Lord, and we know that that power is not inherent within the individual members, Lord. It is because you so filled your church through the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out everything that you commanded her to do. Lord, would you do the same with us? Would you stir our hearts that we might have a burning desire to look at the New Testament, ask, what is a New Testament church? And then act to see that picture come to life here present day, Gina, Louisiana, that we might be a powerful New Testament church, Lord. Help us, equip us, lead us, and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.